Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we're talking with Maria Ruiz Caprolanda, author of a book about Father Stanley Rother, the first American-born martyr. Maria Ruiz Caprolanda is an award-winning journalist, author, and blogger whose work has been published in the New York Times, Our Sunday Visitor, St. Anthony Messenger, Columbia, and a number of other national and regional publications. She's a member of the prestigious American Society of Journalists and Authors and has traveled on international assignments to the Middle East, Latin America, and the Caribbean, and throughout Europe. Perhaps her favorite assignment, she says, was covering Pope John Paul II's historic visit to her native country, Cuba. She received the 2016 St. Francis de Sales Award, the highest award given by the Catholic Press Association to an individual for her outstanding contributions to Catholic journalism. Maria and her husband of 35 years, Michael, reside in Norman, Oklahoma. They have four adult children, a Siberian husky named Diego, and so far, eight grandchildren. I have five, so I have some catching up to do there. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you, Chris. I'm really delighted to be here. Well, we're talking today with you about your latest book, The Shepherd Who Didn't Run, Father Stanley Rother, Martyr from Oklahoma, which was named a finalist in the 2016 Oklahoma Book Awards and received a Catholic Press Association Book Award. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about that book and about Father Rother and how he was martyred for the faith? Well, about the book, I can tell you that I was uh, commissioned by the Archdiocese to write the book uh, by Archbishop Paul, Paul Coakley, and it was really an honor to be involved in this project, and it's led me to be involved in things I never thought I'd be doing, like planning the beatification for Father Stan coming up in September 23. So definitely um, an honor to even tell his story, but really to be walking through this is so historical and so beautiful. Um, you want me to start about yeah, Father Stan? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the martyrdom itself, and then we want to go back and okay. talk a little bit how he got there, the well, same way you did in the book. Father Stan died in um, Santiago Atitlan, Guatemala, on July 28, 1981, he was shot twice in the head. Um, it was in a little after midnight, and he was in the parish rectory, and there were nuns there who immediately collected some of the blood that had uh, spilled on the floor, and they put it in jars, and one of the images that I always think about when I remember that night or talk about it is they that blood and the gauzes filled with blood were put into a jar that was carried in the offertory at his funeral mass in Santiago. Oh my gosh. And I have, there's this picture of the jar sitting on the altar. It still gives me goosebumps next to the chalice. And his, there's no better image for yeah. what it means that he was martyred for the love and faith he had with in in 
Christ with this people. He really laid down his life for the people of Santiago. And they knew it immediately. I mean, it was an instant response. They they already knew that he was theirs Mm -hmm. and that he belonged to them. And um, when he died and they were preparing him to be sent to uh, back to Oklahoma, the parish community asked the Zutu Hill, because there's a Mayan community, they asked that his heart remained there, and to the credit of his family in Oklahoma, they knew that that's where it belonged. So his heart is still buried under an altar in that big old church in Santiago Atitlan, and then his one body is in Oklahoma. One that he helped repair, and one that he helped yes, dig yes. in, all of those yeah. things. So he had a humble upbringing in, in, on a farm in Oklahoma. Yeah. How was that integral to his ministry with the indigenous people, the, the, the Mayans and the Ladinos? In Santiago Atitlan. You know, it's, it, it's amazing because you think, you know, Okarchi, Oklahoma, and this remote village in the middle of nowhere in, in uh, Guatemala, a Mayan community and this German farming man. But the truth is that there's a lot in common because he was raised in a parish that was very new because Oklahoma is a relatively young state. It's barely a uh, hundred years old. Mm-hmm. And so his priests were immigrants. Mm-hmm. The, his priests were uh, missionaries, literally, that came to the, From this, Germany to, <laughs> this to land of Oklahoma, the land of the red dirt. And so I think that the notion of missionary was instilled in him very early on. Mm-hmm. And then after he became a priest, five years into his uh, ministry, he was asked if he was interested in going to the Oklahoma mission, and he did. And what only God could have foreseen is the same things that he grew up doing, farming the fields and working the land and fixing the tractors, fixing, fixing the, the trucks, fixing yeah. everything, he was going to do again, because yeah. they are a farming community. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is. It is God's <laughs> providence, clearly. Yeah. Speaking of that providence, how did a, how did a man from Okarchi, Oklahoma, end up at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, no, and I, I like that. I, I like that connection a lot. And our current um, archbishop, he himself went to the Mount St. Mary's. Yeah. So he is um, he's very connected with Father Stan mm-hmm. from his years as a young man in the seminary. And uh-huh. uh, he, this is an aside, but he told me that when he first became archbishop, which I think was six years ago now, he... Uh, took a kind of clandestine trip on his own, drove down from Kansas to Okarchi because okay. he knew that's where Father Stan was. And he's like, uh, okay, okay, we're connected from now on. We're on the same journey. That's Isn't neat. that great? That is neat. Yeah. But he he went to one seminary in Texas and didn't do well there well, and then think, somehow found his place <laughs> at, in Maryland. When I talk to uh, especially youth groups and uh, young people, I want to emphasize this guy had trouble. He almost did not make it through seminary. He literally failed his first year of theology. And so the seminary in San Antonio sent him home and said, you know, you should consider a different vocation. And then he went to his, he's still young, right? He must have been, what, 20 at the time? And so he was sent home. He goes to visit his uh, parish priest, and they go together to see the bishop. And the bishop says, what do you want to do? And he said, I am still called to be a priest. I really, really do want to con- continue this. 
and the bishop um, found him Mount St. Mary's. That's but wonderful. he really struggled with studies. He did. That was, it, that was not an easy thing. And it was the Latin. He had yeah. just learning Latin, but also the fact that classes were taught in Latin. So he had to get, they had a system of study groups and things like that at, yeah. at, at the seminary in uh, Emmitsburg. And that really helped him. And yet through. he ended up learning Spanish and the, and the, the native language. I call that it. one of his miracles. Yeah. Because the same guy that could not learn Latin and almost didn't become a priest goes down there and learns not just the Spanish, which he never was completely fluent in, but the Zutu Hill language is like nothing I have ever heard before. Uh-huh. It, 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 it is, it's only spoken in two little villages around that lake. Mm-hmm. It's that specific to the place. And he became completely fluent in it and preferred it to the Spanish. So yeah. that's one of the reasons he could get so... Um, intimate really with his parishioners yeah we have just a little bit left before the break but he started out as an ordinary guy from an ordinarily very devout catholic family mm-hmm. uh what made him devote himself to the people of, in guatemala even to his death what, what was that i really think he was called to to serve in love and he found in guatemala this is where god wanted him to be. He knew he wanted to be a priest, and he did kind of different parishes in Oklahoma, but that was his niche. When he got there, from early on, when you read his letters, he he knew this is where, where he was meant to be. And in one of his letters, he says, I can see me staying here forever until I retire, mm-hmm. which, of course, he never got to never do. Got but, to I mean, he knew this, this is his, this was his calling. Yeah. And he obviously fell in love with the people and the land. And they loved him, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, after the break, we're going to talk some more with Maria Ruiz Caperlanda about the upcoming beatification of Father Stanley Rother. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. According to Jean Gonzalez of Catholic News Service, more than 2,000 converged on Orlando, Florida, July 6th through 9th for the 12th National Black Catholic Congress. Speakers, clergy, lay, and religious addressed a variety of topics and concerns facing black communities and families while urging those present to take an active, enthusiastic role in living out the gospel as just disciples of Christ. The Archdiocese of Baltimore had a strong presence at the conference, including speakers such as Father Donald Sterling, pastor of New All Saints Parish in Liberty Heights, conventual Franciscan friar Douglas McMillan of the Shrine of St. Anthony in Ellicott City, and Deacon Curtis Turner, president of St. Francis Academy in East Baltimore. Read all about it at catholicreview.org or archbalt.org. Meanwhile, another gathering in Orlando attracted 3,500 Catholic leaders from across the U.S. from July 1st through 4th. George Matizek of the Catholic Review writes that several delegates from the Archdiocese of Baltimore returned from the Convocation of Catholic Leaders, dubbed the Joy of the Gospel in America, with a, quote, renewed commitment to helping people of every background develop a deeper relationship with Christ, end quote. Daphne Daly, director of the Archdiocese of Baltimore's Office of Pastoral Planning, returned with a clearer understanding of what it means to go to the peripheries. The peripheries also include folks who are hurting from substance abuse or addiction or people who feel marginalized because they are part of the deaf community or people who simply don't have a faith community that they call home, Daphne said. 
There are geographic peripheries and spiritual peripheries. We are called to share the gospel and the love of Christ with all of them. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Eric Zygmunt. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. And we're back, and we're talking with Maria Ruiz Caprolanda about Father Stanley Rother, who will be beatified September 23, 2017, in a ceremony in Oklahoma City. So have you been to Guatemala, where Father Stanley served? What was it like? Are the conditions better now than when he was there? I did. I went uh, six years ago for the 30th anniversary of his death uh, with a group from the Archdiocese, and we had... It was the year that Archbishop Coakley became Archbishop. Mm-hmm. So we had the um, retired Archbishop, the new Archbishop, and Bishop Taylor, uh, Tony Taylor from Little Rock, Arkansas, mm-hmm. who's also very devoted to the cause and was involved in the Historical Commission. Um, and then a lot of other priests and local folks. So it was a really good community to travel there because we all knew some about Father Stan, but none of us had been there before, the lay people. And so we could kind of all experience it at the same time. And it was phenomenal. The The faith of the people, the cult, in, this, in the best sense of what that word means, of the people, they already, they already one of the nuns put it this way, yes, you, you can keep moving the cost, but we already know he's a saint. Ah. And I think that's kind of the, what you sense when you're there. And it's when you walk into the room where he died, which is a, a small chapel now, mm-hmm. it's it's a holy place. It yeah. really is. You, it's a, nobody has to say be quiet or you know yeah. it, you know that it's a holy place. It's like seeing the cell at Auschwitz where Saint Maximilian Kolbe died. I, I would imagine it's the Absolutely. same. Absolutely. Kind of or uh, today's um, as we're recording this is the feast of Saint Thomas More. It's the same. The same thing when I stepped into that cell mm-hmm. in in London where he was held. Uh, you know, there's places where heaven and earth come down a little closer, and I think those places, they're special. Yeah. And it brings us a little closer when we step there. That's part of why I love pilgrimages. Yes, <laughs> yes. You, you said in the book, you said that he's still witnessing to the people of Santiago Atitlan, that he's still very much their priest, as much now, maybe even more so than when he was actually serving there. How so? Well, one clear example I can give you is that the Oklahoma mission there, so the Oklahoma, uh, at the time it was one 
diocese, the whole state, mm-hmm. and then it became two, but still sponsoring as a state the mission there. It it um, it left as a mission. We still have the connection, obviously, but but it's because of vocations. Mm-hmm. You know, we were there because they didn't have a priest for almost a hundred years by by the time we got there. But now they have ample vocations. And on Facebook, I'm connected to the parish. And last year, they had several young men that became priests right there on the plaza in front of the church. And it's really powerful. I yeah. think that in itself is, is one of the ways we know. And th- we're talking about indigenous vocations, mm-hmm. like the same Zutu Hill that he was the pastor of. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the men who, who's either parents that he right. was, was part I, of. I did a Skype event with uh, Guatemala a month ago, and it was a seminary group. And two men, two young men who stayed at the end to talk to me are both their brothers, and they're from a family whose dad knew Father Stan. And they oh, credit wow. their vocation to Father Stan being there. And they call him Padre Francisco, or in Zutu Hill, Aplas. And they said, Aplas, he's why I'm here. Wow. And that's beautiful. That and is. I think that is the most powerful thing we can say about the faith there. Yeah, and because that, that Mitaku, uh, and I forget, um, Mika Tokla, I guess, is what the, yes, the, the, yes, the, the, the mission the Catholic yeah. Oklahoma, <laughs> yeah. right? That started with 12 priests and mm-hmm. eventually was down to just Father Stan. Just Father Stan, and, yeah. And now there are enough local vocations that, Isn't that, that a foreign missionary is no, is no, no longer needed. Right, and we still continue the, obviously, that connection will never end. Right. Um, right. Because there, there's Father Stan is Father Stan because of being in Santiago, and everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. What lessons can we learn from the life and death of Father Stan? Well, that's a great question because I think he is a, such a gift as a new uh, blessed. Um, in Spanish, we say beato. You know, he he is ordinary in the best sense of the word, in the sense of. He, he's not an all-star player, mm-hmm. you know. He's not the best in the class. He's not the. He didn't win any awards. He was just a, a guide, following what God called him to do, and that's why we're all called to do is mm-hmm. to say yes to whatever that ordinary thing is we're doing in front of us. So that's the first thing. But I also think it's important that he's a, a priest and as um, somebody pointed out to me, a diocesan priest mm-hmm. because. There's not too many. Talk about ordinary. Right. They're the the priests that are not in a special order or uh, have special no unique no, charism. No, they are diocesan priests doing what we need them to do to be Catholics and to celebrate Bring the with them to the to the table and, and to have that be our first male uh, blessed for the uh, U.S. That's pretty phenomenal, and I think that's powerful. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, his family was really a, a small family. Uh, a sister who died shortly after birth, a brother and a sister. The sister became a, a religious nun. Um, and so really from that There was that one small, more brother in there who right, died okay. of cancer. Okay, so but out of that, that small family, two religious vocations. Two religious really. vocations, yeah. And she's still alive, and mm-hmm. she'll be at the beatification. That's neat. She's wonderful. And yeah. so will his youngest brother and his wife. And of course, there's lots of nephews and nieces. Mm-hmm. And they'll all be there. Rothers yeah. are a big extended group, and they'll all be there in form. Yeah. You are involved in a new documentary also on Father Stan that is yes. going to be coming out soon. Uh, tell us a little bit about the documentary and, and when that's going to be available. 
Um, it's a documentary that the Archdiocese hired a, a wonderful young company called Lampstand, and they did the beautiful documentary called Sewing Hope that I also want to promote because it's beautiful. It's about Sister Rosemary Nairumbi and her work in Uganda. Um, they won awards for that one, and when you see this one, you're going to see that there's a reason for that. They have just a beautiful eye for presenting the heart of the person they're featuring. Mm -hmm. And right now what we have is two trailers, one in Spanish and one in English, but the actual documentary will be unveiled mm -hmm. <laughs> at the verification mass. We won't see the the, the actual thing until that until day. Until that day. Mm -hmm. Until that day. And this further tells the story of Father Stan and, and yes, his work Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's like trying to present an introduction to all of us who are trying to figure out, okay, I know it's important, but why is it important, and right. who was this guy? And it's so beautifully done. Wait till you see the trailer. Yeah, I mean, it, it's part of the thing for me, when I look at the communion of saints, and I say, well, I, I can't do that. I can't go off to Guatemala and mm -hmm. serve. I can't do some of the things here. I, I'm not in Auschwitz, not like Maximilian Kolbe. I can't make that choice to sacrifice myself. But I think there's a, a sense that we get from people like Father Stan that you just say, he was just an ordinary guy yep. from Oklahoma yep. who opened himself to the heart of God <laughs> and went and did his work. Exactly. And, and it, it, we can all do that in a little yeah. bit of way in where we are. Amen to that. And and I always think of that, you know, the, the scripture where they talk about, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, wasn't he uh, Joseph's son, yeah, the carpenter? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, really? Who, who is this guy? Well, same thing. Can anything good come from a little town called Okarchi? It is exactly how it sounds. This is a yeah. small farming town in uh, Oklahoma. Well, yes. Why? Because he was faithful. And he didn't set out to be a martyr. What he set out to do was to live his life completely and to discern daily what that meant. And that some days it was literally changing diapers and uh -huh. fixing cars yeah. or driving kids to the hospital or, you know, saying mass in a remote village so where he had to take a motorcycle up where he couldn't reach by car. So, you know, it, he was doing really simple, ordinary things. Yeah. And yet, because he kept saying yes, when the time came and he was put on a death list and he knew that he had to make a choice, that's where he said the shepherd cannot run at the first sign of danger. Mm -hmm. And that's what we remember him from. Yeah. And it's, even before that, he had some struggles in his ministry, just as anybody does, those those dark times, those, those times. Who doesn't? Like, yeah. You know, Lord, where are you? But, yeah. But it, he certainly persevered through all of that yeah. because of his love for the people and his love for God. So. And he was very devoted to Mary and to the rosary. And I think those were things that go back, way back to his family, where they would say the rosary every day. But they never left him. They were a, a part of... A part of his in deep inside, and I think all of us have those practices that keep us faithful and that help us to stay stay in the line yeah, <laughs> on our good. pilgrimage. That's good. Well, before we go, tell our listeners how they can get the book, The Shepherd Who Didn't Run. OSV.com. Our okay. Sunday visitor is the publisher. You can also find it on Amazon. Okay. Or you can just tell Chris or I, and one of us will get the book to you. Okay. All right. But well, more than anything, I just want to ask people to pray for um, his canonization, which would be the next step, and to pray for the people of Guatemala and all the martyrs from that time period. 
And just as Father stands in intercession, he's a good man to walk with you. Good. Thank you. Well, we've been talking today with Maria Ruiz Caprolanda about her biography of the first American-born martyr, Father Stanley Rother of Oklahoma, who will be beatified in September. Maria blogs daily at daybydaywithmaria.blogspot.com. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity, Chris. Thank you. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.